Well, welcome to National Community Church, all seven of our locations. Thrilled that you're here. We continue our series, Hashtag Fail. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, there's no way I'm going to get through the entire book of Jonah this weekend because he, ta- he makes too many failures, okay? And so it's possible uh, that there is going to be a to-be-continued, I'm just telling you up front, we aren't even going to get to Nineveh. But we're going to get as far as we can go. Uh, And so let's jump right in. Jonah chapter 1. You can uh, follow along in your Bible or on the screen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah gets a word from God. We don't need another sermon. We're already educated way beyond the level of our obedience. Now, I'd like to think that in the context of a sermon, you might get a word from God. But can I tell you the best place to get a word from God? The word of God. Now, right now, many of us are reading through the New Testament uh, during Lent. I want to tell you something. There is no way you can read the New Testament from cover to cover during Lent, consume that much scripture, and it not change your spiritual metabolism. Uh, There's no way you can read it from cover to cover and not get a word from God. And that's what we need. We need a word from God, like Jonah. But then we need to do something with it. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. I love this one little word. It's one of the most critical words in the entire Bible. Go. G-O. Now, Jesus said go and make disciples of all nations. We call it the Great Commission. Short and sweet, go. Uh, It's go time. Now, there's an old adage, ready, set, go. You probably heard it. Um, We flipped it a few years ago here at NCC. Uh, We have a little different mantra. Uh, We reverse it, go, set, ready. Now, let me tell you why. Because you'll never be ready. I don't think I've ever been ready to do what God has called me to do. I promise you this, I wasn't ready to get baptized. Wasn't ready to get married. Laura can testify to that one. (laughs) We were not ready for children. No parent is ready to change diapers. Uh, I wasn't ready to pastor a church. I had never been in on, on a church staff. Wasn't even qualified. Um, we weren't ready to tithe. Uh, we weren't ready to go on our first mission trip. We weren't ready to launch our second location. If we waited to do what God had called us to do until we're ready, we'd do nothing. The rest of our lives. You, you know what's beautiful about this, though? It's not about being ready, it's about being willing. And, and when God calls us, that's when we need to step out in faith and there's always gonna be a gap between your ability and what God's called you to do, between your resource and what, and what God has called you to do. Why? Because faith fills the gap. And then God steps in and moves in a way so that he gets all of the glory. Uh, you know, Laura and Summer and I, two weeks ago, uh, uh, flew across the pond and spent a couple of days in Berlin, Germany at our cafe. You know I love to say it. You know I'm going to say it. Proctorwerk. 
And uh, one day, by the way, we spent 13 hours in there. It was just awesome because it's not just a building that, that serves a, a mean uh, cafe latte kind of European style. Man, the presence of God is thick in that place. We, we loved every minute of it. We can't wait to see the way God is going to use that ca cafe in that city for us to really have a, a longer reach, if you will, for the gospel. God's going to do great things. But can I tell you where it started? I, I still remember it. We were having a meeting and, and this idea of someone, you know, said, hey, you guys are doing Ebenezer's in D.C. What if you did a cafe like that in Berlin? And it was just crazy enough that we thought to ourselves, that's crazy. And we kind of like crazy around here. And so we thought, what if, what if, and at some point in that meeting, I don't even remember who said it. I don't remember how it came up. But we said, go set ready. I want to tell you, from that day to this day, it's been, been a part of our OS. It's a part of our operating system. If you are part of this church, you know that, that our vision is to help you get a vision from God and go for it. We, we want you to step out in faith, and we want to be in your corner and be a part of what God is going to do through your life. And so God gives Jonah uh, this vision, go uh, to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, I, I better say something right here. Okay, and I want to parse what I'm going to say very carefully. Uh, I absolutely believe that the church should be more known for what we're for than what we're against. But I don't know that there aren't moments that you don't preach against something. Question is, how do you do that? Well, we live in the uh, capital of political correctness, where it's wrong to say something is wrong, and I think that's wrong. But, but I don't think you preach against something by boycotting it. Stick with me for a second. Did Paul stand outside the Areopagus in Athens with the picket sign that said, idolaters are going to hell? No, he did not. You know what he did? He walked into the Areopagus and went toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the greatest minds in the ancient world and competed for the truth. Here's how, here's how you preach against something. You write a better book. You make a better film. You start a better business. You open a better school. You draft better legislation. The way you preach against something is you just do it better with God's anointing and God's help and for God's glory. Listen, that's the kind of church that we want to be. I think boycotting is the easy way out. It's a cop-out. We can do better than that. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Can't help but chuckle a little bit right there, right? Yeah, good luck with that. How's that working for you? Um, now, according to rabbinic tradition, Jonah paid 4,000 gold dinars for his one-way ticket. There are hidden fees in sin. When you run away from God, it's a toll road. And you're going to pay a price, more than what you want to pay. Now, let me give a little bit of context. Uh, God calls Jonah to Nineveh, and he calls it that great city which is an interesting reference. Now, it might be because of its size. There were about 120,000 people. That's a big city back in the day. 
Um, but it would also, within 50 years of the writing of this book, become the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Um, but instead of going 600 miles east to Nineveh, uh, Jonah decides to, uh, to head west to, to Tarshish. Now, the two most common interpretations, if you care, there will not be a quiz, is that Tarshish was either Africa or Spain. But there's one little theory that I find fascinating because it's based on a little footnote in 2 Chronicles 9.21. Solomon established a trade route with Tarshish. This is pretty interesting. And it says that every three years, a ship would return from Tarshish. And here's what it would bring. Gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks, which are all native to the jungles of India. Things that make you go, hmm. Well, we don't know whether it was India or Africa or Spain, uh, but the, price, the precise location of Tarshish is not the point. The point is this. Jonah's headed in the opposite direction of Nineveh. God has called him east, and he's going west. But let's make sure that this lesson is not lost on us. I think this is at the heart of this story. Uh, you can run from God, but you can't hide. This week, I got a phone call from Ken Gobb. Uh, it was a little, little surreal because uh, um, I've told a story about Ken. I'm going to tell you the story because it jogged my memory. But I've never actually had a conversation with Ken, and he called me out of the blue this week. Uh, Ken Gobb and his family were driving on uh, I-75, this is many, many moons ago, uh, near Dayton, Ohio, when they decided to stop, um, make a little restaurant stop. And so family went into the restaurant, Ken wanted to stretch his legs, and so he went for a little walk by a gas station. There was a payphone. Do, do you remember what those were? A payphone, it started to ring, and it kept ringing, and it kept ringing. And I know it's kind of weird, but Ken, Ken thought maybe there was some kind of emergency of some sort and so as crazy as this sounds he picked up the phone and when he did the operator said kid you not long distance for Ken Gobb now Ken almost passed out he, he wondered if he was on candid camera he's kind of like there is no no way um, but eventually he said this is Ken Gobb uh, the operator then connected the phone call and uh, a woman uh, said, uh, Mr. God, my name is Millie. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, but I need your help. Well, she went on to explain that uh, earlier in the day, she had written a suicide note, but she didn't want to take her own life. And so one more time, she actually got down on her knees and, and prayed. And as she was praying, as strange as this sounds, Ken Gobb came to mind because she had seen him preaching on the television. And while she was praying, some digits came into her mind and she wrote them down on a piece of paper. She thought to herself, wouldn't this be the craziest thing in the world if this was Ken Gobb's phone number? She dials the number. That's when this payphone by this gas station near Dayton, Ohio, off of I-75 rings. She said, Decided to try calling it, and I couldn't believe it when the operator said it was you. Then Millie said, are you in your office? 
Ken said no, and Millie sounded kind of surprised. She said, then where are you? Ken Cobb said, you made the call, don't you know? She said, I don't even know what area code I'm calling. I just dialed the number on the piece of paper. Ken Gobb said, you won't believe this. I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. She said, what are you doing there? He said, I'm answering a pay phone. <laughs> Ken Gobb said he walked away from that phone booth with the most electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern for each of his children he said, what were the astronomical odds of this happening with all the millions of phones and innumerable combinations of numbers? Only an all-knowing God could have caused that woman to dial that number in that phone booth at that moment in time. So Ken walked over to the restaurant. His family wondered where he was. Sat down and said, you won't believe this. God knows where I am. That's an awesome thought. It doesn't matter whether you're driving down I-75 near Dayton or on a ship to Tarshish. He knows where you are. Psalm 139.7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there... Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You can run, but you can't hide. But it doesn't end there. You can run, but God is running after you. No matter how far and how long you run, there's a God who is running after you. All right, I'm going to drop this in your spirit. May God get this into your spirit. This has become one of my favorite little Verses in the Bible in recent months, Isaiah 62, 12. Are you ready for this? And you will be called, sought after. Capital letters, capital S, capital A. That's your name today. You are sought after. There's a God who has been seeking after you since the day you were born. In fact, Psalm 139, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, God was seeking after you. It doesn't matter what you've done, you're sought after. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed, you're sought after. You are sought after after the divorce. You are sought after after the abortion. You are sought after after the adultery. You are sought after. There's a God who can't give up on you. It's not in his nature. This is not a story about Jonah. There's a, God, a story about a God who runs after us when we run away from him. It's a subplot. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know, I talk about this verse all the time, the word follow in the Hebrew language. It's a not a strong enough translation. It's a hunting term. He is tracking you down. He is hunting you down. Why? To show you his love, to bless you, to, to show you his mercy and his goodness. And you can run your entire life but he's going to run after you. My grandpa Batterson, the only time 
he ever used the name of Jesus. This is a curse. 76 years old, run away from God his entire life. He's in the hospital, very end of his life. Pastor goes and visits him in the hospital. And the God he had cursed his entire life that he had run away from, never went to church, never talked about God. It was a taboo topic. And the God he ran away from his entire life after 76 years on a ship to Tarshish. He finally turned around and he discovered that God was there all the time. And he gave his heart to Jesus. Listen, all of us have family and friends who are on a ship to Tarshish. And it breaks our hearts, right? Because we want them to discover the grace that we've discovered, the God who has changed our lives. So what do we do? So all I have for you is this. You don't give up on them. You keep praying for them. Keep listening to them. Keep loving them. Might even say, and keep inviting them. I mean, we're coming into a season. Easter is around the corner. Do you know that many, if not most people, would accept a simple, a simple invitation to come to church? But they can't accept an invitation if we don't extend it. Now, what an opportunity for us to invite some of our friends and family into a church that's designed for Jonah's. It's designed for people like us who have run away from God. And you're going to hear a story in just a few minutes that's going to impact you deeply. Let's jump back into this story. God sends a storm, threatens to sink the entire ship. Listen, at some point, your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody else on board. If you aren't careful, your sin will sink the ship. And so Jonah does something. He tells that crew to cast him overboard. And verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. I love this little word, provided. Can I suggest that sometimes what we think of as God's punishment is God's provision. It's the same exact word in chapter 4 when it says God provided a gourd. We don't have time. We might get there next week. It's the same word in Hebrew. The best translation is appointed. God appointed a great fish. This was a divine appointment. I have no idea how long Jonah could have tread water, but not long enough. And so God sent a fish. You never know how or when or where God will show up. Or who or what God will use. So Jonah lands in a whale's belly. I think it goes without saying that a whale's belly is close to the last place on earth that you'd ever want to be. <laughs> Nasty smelling. The dog Mickey this week had gas. 
We had guests over. It's a little embarrassing. We let that dog out a lot this week. Two weeks ago, I was on an international flight. And uh, I don't know what someone ate on the other side of the Atlantic, but it was in the air. trying to bring you a little closer to home because we've not been in the belly of a whale. Listen, let me tell you something. You may have experienced nasty and smelly, but you've experienced nothing like this. A whale's diet, if you'll indulge me, <laughs> consists of everything from fish and shrimp to larvae and plankton. Some eat larger marine mammals like octopus or squid, and they consume very large quantities. The sperm whale eats up to a ton of food per day. Largest intestinal tract of any animal on the planet, about 900 yards, nine football fields of intestines. Not one, not two, not three, but four stomachs. Up to 18,000 undigested squid have been found in beach whales. Quick question. You ever been to a fish market? Those are recently caught fish on ice. 18,000 dead fish. It was nasty up in there. It was also loud. Now, this is interesting. Whales use clicking as a form of echolocation. It's the loudest sound produced by any animal on the planet. 260 decibels underwater. Okay, the 12th man in Seattle holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest crowd noise, 137.6, registered at the game against New Orleans on a Monday night last December. Here's my point. Jonah doesn't just stink to high heaven. His ears are ringing. There's no way, there's not some level of PTSD after this incident. <laughs> now, is this on anybody's life goal list? Love to spend three days in the belly of a whale. No, you would not. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be in divorce court, do you? No one does. You don't want to be in chemotherapy. You don't want to be in the unemployment line. You don't want to be in bankruptcy. No one wants to be in those places. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to die in the belly of a whale. Well, it takes seven minutes. I want to show you something. This isn't just a story about a God who delivers Jonah. This is a story about a God who delivers Chris. Watch this. When I was behind bars and happened to see my sister behind that plexiglass or whatever it is during visitations, um, the fact that I could not go outside. It's not like you see on TV. You're not outside running around in the grass or playing basketball or lifting weights. There's none of that. There is no outside. You're, you're trapped and from your cell, you look out of this little window, you see the seasons change, you see the snow on the ground. There's nothing worse than having your freedom taken away. When you're locked up, 
You either become a lifetime criminal or you find the Lord. I was born upstate New York and around nine months old, after a couple uh, back and forth between my mom and father, my father decided not to bring me back to my mom and basically left town and went to uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And at uh, the age of four years old, I remember a knock on the door and uh, there's this woman standing at the door just bawling. And I was like, Daddy, uh, there's someone at the door crying. My dad comes around the corner, looks at my mom, turns white as a ghost, long story short. My mom found me and I was brought back with my mother to uh, town, New Haven, Connecticut. And that's where I was basically raised. I met my uh, little sister for the first time, who was two years old at the time. And uh, we had that dream come true life, you know, the vacations, the ski trips, um, camping trips, everything was pretty good. And then uh, one day, just things started spiraling out of control. That's when I was first introduced to marijuana. I was selling drugs for my mom at school. I was introduced to uh, crystal meth at the tender age of 14. Got to the point where I thought I was Mr. Cool Guy because I had all the things people wanted. I had a Mustang at the age of 16 years old that I bought with, with drug money. I ran into a buddy who was a cocaine dealer. And he was basically like, hey, uh, you wanna learn how to make money faster? And I was intrigued by it. He had the flashy cars, the flashy clothes, the the hottest girls at the time, and I definitely wanted to be like him. I started getting involved in cocaine, and I actually started using very heavily. Because of my addiction, I couldn't stay away from it. I would do anything in my power to get it. I would take advantage of people that I cared about and trusted to get what I needed. And um, But still, there was always that something watching over me because I never OD'd never got shot, never killed anybody. And I had lots of opportunities to do so. I finally hit that wall and I was pulled over by Fairfax Finest. And that's when I got a real dose of reality. I'm not invincible. I don't have everything I want. I can't get myself out of all the things that I want to get myself out of. And um, I spent about nine months in the actual facility of Fairfax County. It was an older cat who I always saw off to the side. He always had a bunch of people around him. I went over there and I approached him one day and um, I was like, what are you guys doing? He's like, oh, we're doing Bible studies. I was like, uh, is it hard? Because <laughs> I didn't know nothing about it, man. I really didn't. So. I just let it go. I went back to a spades game. About two weeks later, I approached him again. He's like, the Lord told me you were coming back. It's like, what? He told you I was coming back? He's like, yeah, we have conversations. I'm like, um, yeah, this dude is crazy. But I took it, you know, and I took it back to my cell and we had lockdown. And instead of reading my Sports Illustrated or whatever I had as my little collection of reading materials, I actually pulled some of those Bible studies and I looked at them and I started looking through the book. And once I started reading certain things, I wanted a highlighter. 
I wanted to start marking the book up, like, yeah, this is where I want to go back to. So every day after that, until I was released, I mean, he would have a new Bible study for me, and I, and I would study it, and I believe because of that man, I found the Lord. When I got out, I was luckily in a situation where I met an individual who wanted to help me because he's been in those shoes before. And he got me a job doing heating and air conditioning, which I love and enjoy and I still do to this day. And I hope to run my own business someday. Ever since I met that man, my life just changed. Uh, I had two beautiful little girls, Michaela Kendall Bosley and Mackenzie Kira Bosley. Uh, met the woman of my dreams, Teresa Bosley, who's my wife now. We actually have a baby on the way. And um, I owe it all to the Lord, man. I really, really do. Because the things that I've been through, I could easily be locked up in prison for the rest of my life. Um, I could have easily have been six foot under. There was always that presence there that I guess was my guardian angel. Because no matter what happened, I'm not saying it's right, I always had another opportunity to make right in my life. And the power of the Lord is something else. People say it all the time. God has a plan. <laughs> and he's always going to look out for me. And he will always point me in the right direction. Whether I see it at first or not, he will always point me in the right direction. Things, things couldn't be any better. I mean, like I said before, as an addict, having that disease, I still always have that struggle. And knowing that I will always be that addict somewhere deep down inside of me because it is a disease, I know the things to look for when I do go to a bar or do go to a club, even in a restaurant. And sometimes it scares me. It really, really does. But as long as... I hug my daughters every morning. We say our prayers every night. I know that as long as I stay determined, everything's going to be okay. And I guess that's really what keeps me going now is my kids, my wife, the Lord, friends and family. Don't ever give up hope. Don't ever give up hope. Don't ever say... Oh, he's not there for me because he was there for me. Thanks to Chris for sharing his story. Chris was on a ship to Tarshish or Hashish. His whale was Fairfax County Jail. His whale was an older cat, as he put it. God's running after you. He's going to show up somehow, some way. He will not let you go. Chris turned to God, and it changed his life. I love Jonah 3.1, as far as we're going to get this weekend. Might be my favorite verse in the entire book. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time, a second chance. I'm not a golfer. I'm a duffer. I once played St. Andrew's Golf Course in Scotland. 
I desecrated it. <laughs> I was in one of their sand traps. They're built differently there. Seven shots. Until finally, then I turned around and hit the ball the wrong way because I couldn't get over the steep wall. I may be one of the worst golfers ever anywhere. But that means that my favorite word in the golf vocabulary is mulligan. Love that word. It's a second chance. You get to hit the ball second time. This is Jonah's mulligan. Aren't you grateful for God who gives mulligans a second time? He's the God of second chances. Our worship team has written beautiful song for this series, The God of Second Chances. Here's what I want to do this weekend. I want to invite all of our worship bands at all of our locations. You come right now. I want you to come because we're not going to pray uh, at the end of this message. We're going to sing, but this song is our prayer. Here's what I believe. I believe that some of you have been on a ship to Tarshish. You've been running away from God. You're, you're not even sure why in the world you're here this weekend, but you know what? This was an appointment. It was a divine appointment. I believe God appointed this moment for you, for you to turn back to him. There's really only two directions that you can be facing. One is your back turned to God, running in the other direction, or facing God and embracing him. I want to tell you something. This is a church where we are not concerned with where you've been or even where you are. What direction are you facing? Are you facing in God's direction, in the direction of who God is? Are you headed towards your heavenly father? This message is a simple invitation. Don't run away. Jesus said, come, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's chase after God. Let's stand together, all of our locations, and let's worship him.